comforted. And I pray, Lord, you'd help me to use the strongest arguments drawn from Christ's incarnations and sufferings that all of us might be made holy. Lord, I need your support, comfort, strength and holiness that that I might be a pure channel of your grace, able to do something for you, for your glory. We pray, Lord, that you might be glorified by our listening and our, and our responses and by my words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, as I just mentioned in the prayer, I know today might be a little bit hard for us. Um, I'm, and I'm putting that up the front so that you are ready for what's coming. God's power in our weakness is a topic that is infinitely comforting and encouraging if we're yielding to God's work in our lives, but it's not easy to yield when we're in the valley. You may hate the idea that God will allow and even actively put you in a place where you are helpless, weak and needy. So if you want to cry today, if you're struggling with it and you need to talk it out with somebody, that's okay. I understand. So pour out your heart to God and let your brothers and sisters comfort you and help you. And I want to know, regardless of how you respond to today's message, I want you to come and tell me, is this this promise of God, that God would work in our weakness, something that is pleasing and, and joyful to you, or is it sand in your sandwich? Come and Come and tell me. So to get our heads wrapped around this topic of God's power being made perfect in our weakness, I've got five stories, five short stories about how God works in weakness. And the first one shows that our weakness reveals God's character. Let me tell you about a bloke who had it all. He had land, he had had, uh, great riches, great wealth, he had respect, he had a lovely family, and on top of of it all, he was a good bloke in God's eyes too. God was on his side and he was on God's side. His name was Job. And one day in the heavenly court, Satan rocks up and he says, and God says, have you seen Job? He's the greatest example of a bloke who serves me. And Satan says, come on. He only serves you because you give him lots of nice stuff. You've bribed him into service. Satan implies that there's nothing special about getting something, getting somebody to serve you if you give them nice stuff. Okay, then God says, let's see what happens when we take it all away. You have permission to strip him of all that he has. Just don't harm his body. So Satan sets out to show God up. He tries to undermine God undermine God's work in the heart by taking away Job's children, his property, his wealth. And as everything is stripped away in a few moments, Job turns to God and worships God. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Satan wants to have another shot. Another chop at undermining God. He says, look, Job just remained faithful to you because he's fearful for his own life. He doesn't want you to smite him. He's just protecting his own skin. So God says, okay, you can afflict him however you like, just don't kill him. So Job 
is given by Satan an awful, crippling bodily disease. Job wished he was dead. Better to be dead than experience all the pain that he had. He was crushed. He was brought low. He was tormented. But he wouldn't turn on God. Even though God had allowed all this to come to pass, Job says, when his wife questions him, shall we receive good from God and not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. He was willing to receive the good things that God has for him, but also the things where God would take away. And Satan couldn't undermine God's work in Job's heart. Now, you might sit back initially when you hear the story of Job and go, oh, wow, isn't Job a great bloke? He stood up under all that pressure. And yes, Job was a great bloke, and he did do well. But the hero of this story isn't Job. It's God. God is vindicated. In the midst of Job's weakness, God's glory was revealed. God's power was revealed. God's character was revealed. And Job didn't get to know what was going on. He, he didn't get to hear uh, about what was going on in the heavenly courtroom. He was in the midst of the pain on the earth. Job sat and defended himself from his friend's accusations. He sat and he questioned his existence. He questioned what he had done to deserve all of this sorrow and despair and why God had brought this on him. But God doesn't answer his questions. God instead reveals more of his glory and his power. And he presses Job even lower as Job sees himself in relation to God, as God tells him about his amazing character. So Job is brought low so that, so that God's power and glory would be revealed, so that Satan would be shown up for the conniving snake that he is. God brought Job low so that God's character could be revealed. In the middle of his weakest moments, as he struggled to come to grips with what had happened to him, God was vindicated. God showed to the world, to Satan, to the angels, and even to us, so many years removed, that God's power is perfectly revealed in the midst of human weakness. But our weakness is also for God's victory. Because a few centuries later, after Job, God's people were living in the land of Israel, but they were oppressed by the Midianites. Every time they grew crops, the Midianites would come in and take them away. God's people had to hide for fear of their own lives. They had to hide their food for fear it would be stolen. The people were weak and they cried out to God, a God who had saved them before. And they were at the end of their rope, unable to fight back, unable to even make their own food. And they were weak enough to see that they needed God's provision. And so God answered their prayers. But God didn't answer their prayers in a way that they would be tricked into thinking that it was their own strength. No, God answered their way, their prayers in a way that it would be clear to all that God was the one who was providing for them. He would work in their weakness to show his victory. God, God called up a bloke named Gideon and sent him to work to save the people. Now, Gideon was no special bloke. He was so cowardly that even after an angel arrived from God with a message about what he had to do, he tried to shirk his responsibility. Gideon did manage to rustle up 
an army of about 32,000 men to face the Midianites and their allies. But the Midianite army was so much bigger that they couldn't even count it. He had 32,000 blokes versus an innumerable army. It was described like the sand on the seashore, without number. But for God, the 32,000 was too much. It's too much. You might be tricked into thinking victory came at your own hands. So tell all the blokes who are scared that they can go home. So that moment, 22,000 blokes got up and went home. But the remaining 10,000 was still too many. God wanted to whittle down the number even more. So they took all the men down to the watering hole and those men who knelt down to drink were kept and those men who knelt down and put their face to the water were sent home. And they were left with 300 blokes to face an innumerable army. And not only that, they didn't even have to fight. That, that night when they went down into the camp, they waved some torches, they blew some trumpets, they made a bit of a ruckus and broke some pottery and the army was thrown into confusion and they got up and they attacked one another thinking it was friendly fire. They weren't sure what was going on and eventually they fled and Gideon called out the locals from the local towns to go and chase the Midianites out of their land. Their job was simply to be obedient to God. Those 300 men facing off a huge army. They won a battle by shouting a bit and waving some torches and playing musical instruments and breaking some pottery. What kind of strength did they use to win the battle? None. It was God's strength for the victory. God's power for the victory. And God had let them see their weakness. God had let them to be overtaken by the Midianites as a punishment for their rebellion. He had made his people weaker, militarily speaking, by thinning out their ranks. And he brought them so low that God's power would be center stage. We have a tendency to put ourselves center stage, to talk ourselves up and to look to ourselves for solutions to the world's problems. And when we take our eyes off God, we descend into pride and rebellion. But like the Israelites with Midian, God must bring us low to see our own feebleness before we can be shaken to our senses and run to God as our Savior. God's power brings victory in our weakness. Our weakness is for God's provision. A couple hundred years after Gideon, there was a lady named Elizabeth. She was a ministry wife. She was married to a priest. And she was a godly lady who longed for children, but God kept it back from her. Elizabeth and her husband lived in a time when when many people had turned their back on God. The, The society around them was increasingly secular. And these guys remained faithful. They were righteous in the midst of that unrighteous society. But God held back the blessing. Elizabeth didn't know why. She didn't have the medical resources to discover the cause, but she also didn't have a letter from God saying, this is why you will suffer for these reasons. Elizabeth bore the depressing pain of longing for the good and noble office that she desired, but having it kept back from her. 
month after month, year after year, decade after decade. And not only did she suffer the internal torment, but she suffered the shame of her society because everybody thought that that she had done something to make God displeased with her. Elizabeth and her husband grew older and their hope faded. Their prayers had gone unanswered for decades. They were low, they were weak, they were helpless. No power of their own could, could overcome this problem. Yet, in their weakness, at their lowest point, when it seemed impossible, God's provision was made known. His power was made known. His power was shown in Elizabeth's weakness. God kept her low and longing so that he could give her one of the greatest gifts. She would give birth to a son who was greater than ten other regular sons. She gave birth to the greatest prophet of all time. In Elizabeth's weakness, God provided the right man at the right time to herald the coming of Jesus. Any earlier would have been too earlier. Any later would have been too late. Like the valves in your engine, they open at just the right time. John opened at just the right time to fuel the gospel explosion that was coming next. But isn't it cruel? Isn't it harsh to keep back the longing of Elizabeth's heart? Isn't it cold to keep us low and crush our spirits? Friends, this is hard. It's hard to deal with. It's hard to live in the midst of. It's all well and good to stand back at the end and see how God has been at work, but when you're in the middle of it, But friends, we need to remember that we are children of God. And if children, then then God will father us. He's not being cruel. He's protecting us. He's caring for us, even as he walks us through the valley. It's not cruel for the father to hold back his child's hand from the hot plate. It's not cruel for a father to keep bread from his celiac child. It's not cruel for a father to confine his, his child to a, to a car seat. It's not cruel for a father to allow his child to trip and stumble so that we may learn to walk. God cares for us and he brings us into our weakness so that we may be prepared to receive his provision and to know his power. After all, what are the sufferings of this life in comparison to the weight of glory, to the eternal joy of knowing God and meeting Him face to face? Isn't it good that we can suffer for a short time so that we can know God? To be prepared for eternity? This light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So give me soul-crushing despair if it means that I might be better prepared to meet my Lord face to face. Give me tears of sorrow that I may cry tears of joy in the Lord's presence. Give me a broken heart so that I might experience the healing of Christ. Give me sickness of the mind if it means I may know truth himself. 
give me blindness if it means I may glimpse the majesty of my king. Take away my house and my wife and my child if it means I may know the provision of God that goes beyond this fleeting life of suffering. God's power is provision in our weakness. Our weakness means salvation. After John heralded the coming of God, Jesus came bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus came as a man, though he was God, and he took on the weakness of the human frame. He left behind the glories of eternal majesty to get dirty feet as he walked the streets of Palestine. He humbled himself. He made himself vulnerable. He made himself killable. He was a king born in a shed, donned a human body, born into a poor family, living in a small town. And he went into the world preaching a message of weakness. Not look inside yourself. Don't look inside your heart for strength to overcome your trials. Don't look to the sword to overthrow your oppressors. But he brought a message saying, you can't save yourself, but I will save you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God is often called a crutch, implying that he's for people who need help to get through life. The implication being that you wouldn't need God if you were just a bit stronger. You wouldn't need all that religious stuff. But on your own, your own strength is not enough to get you anywhere but hell. You choose to put on a brave face and reject the Jesus crutch, but all you're doing is limping your way to the pit of destruction. But Jesus coming in weakness, came to save those who see their need, who know they are weak and helpless. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus not only came in weakness, he chose it. He chose weakness so that he could save the weak. He went in human frailty to be crucified on a cross, to be killed by the people he created on a tree that he grew in a plan that he submitted to. He died in the place of the weak, suffering the wrath of God and the guilt of mankind so that the weak could receive the righteousness, the strength, the power of God. He died to bring his people together. He died to overthrow the overlords that we have no power to overthrow. He took those who are strong, those who have the upper hand, and undid them by his weakness. Those who have the knife over Aslan's throat shall be destroyed. The evil that yearned for the death of Jesus will be undone. God's people will be raised up. And Ezekiel prophesied this. He said, God said, I will seek the lost and I will bring back the betrayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong. I will destroy I will feed them in justice. Weakness is the gateway to salvation. Weakness is where God comes to save us, not in strength. 
Weakness is where God's power is perfected, completed, and ended. Weakness is for our salvation, both for our entry into salvation as people who give up all notions of our own ability to save ourselves, but also weakness is where salvation is secured in Jesus using his own life as a ransom to purchase our own. Like Aslan on the stone table, he gives up. He gives himself over. In that lowest moment, death would be the gateway to triumph. The ultimate giving up of everything, one's own life. In relinquishing the power, we see the revelation of God's power. Paul tells us that Jesus was crucified in weakness, but lives in the power of God. We also are weak in him, but in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. To be in Jesus, to live in the power of God is to be weak. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. God's power is salvation in our weakness. Our weakness reveals the gospel. This is our fifth story. Our weakness reveals the gospel. After Jesus died, he rose again and he ascended into heaven and he sent a man out into the world to preach this upside-down message that by becoming, by becoming weak, you may be made strong. This man was called Paul. He took this message of foolishness into the world. He kicked up an international storm by proclaiming the Son of God, killed by mere men, died for sinners and will rescue you. He taught that salvation was not through knowledge of secret mysteries, that the cutting of the foreskin was pointless, and that there was no way that any person could ever possibly think that they could get into heaven except through Jesus. Paul taught that when you come to grips with your own weakness, then you can rely on the power of God to make you alive in Christ. Paul took that message out and he proclaimed it everywhere, high and low, rich and poor, to the sick and to the well, to the Jew and to the Gentile. The gospel went across the whole world as the Apostle Paul fulfilled his special commission to take the message to the nations. From a Christian standpoint, Paul is the ultimate. He's the poster child. He's a guy who had an amazing conversion and now he wholeheartedly follows God. And not only that, he has, he has all the, um, a great resume as well. You know, he was trained by the right people, uh, had a great education and great theological education. He has good family history. He, he's descended from biblical heroes. He's even been visited by Jesus himself. And then on top of that, he goes out into the world and he makes converts left, right and center. Everybody seems to just instantly turn to Jesus when Paul comes to town. And he stands firm. He stood firm through countless attacks, countless persecutions. He knew a thing or two. He had the experience. He had the qualifications. If anybody could have pulled rank in the church in his time, it was Paul. God had given him so much. It even appears that Paul was given a special vision of heaven. Being able to visit heaven and hear and see things that are unheard of. But God wanted to protect Paul from 
our tendency to pride and conceit. God wanted to protect Paul from the sinful tendency to lord it over our brothers and sisters. God needed to keep Paul humble. So first, God forbid Paul from talking about what he saw in his visions. He'd seen amazing things, but he couldn't tell anybody about it. And then, God sent a messenger of Satan to harass Paul, to keep him low and weak. And Paul says it himself, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about it, this, that, he sh- that it should leave me. God uses the forces of evil for good. God gave Paul some torment so that he would not be carried away with pride and arrogance and self-reliance. Now, we don't know what this thorn was. It could have been some disease or a mental illness. Perhaps it was a great temptation that he had real difficulty overcoming and it never went away. We don't know what it was, but whatever it was, it was like walking around with an arrow in your flesh. You know, in the movies, when somebody gets shot with an arrow and they have to leave it in there, like what it was for Paul, walking around with a stake in his flesh. And he pleaded with God to take it away. Please, please, please take it away. God's answer? He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul was made low. Paul was made weak so that God's power would be manifested in him. So that God's power could shine through. And so that through Paul, the world could see the power of the gospel. God's power would be revealed through the way that Paul was kept low. So the people wouldn't look at Paul and say, oh, wow, isn't Paul a great bloke? I want to be just like Paul. No, we look at Paul and we say, wow, isn't Jesus a great bloke? Our lives in Jesus are not meant to tell a story about how Jesus helped us overcome our fears or gave us a good job or helped us conquer some internal battle. Those things might come, but but the primary story of our lives must The primary story of our lives is a story about a great saviour who rescues us in the midst of our weakness. God's power finds its goal in our weakness, transforming us into the image of Christ, turning our eyes away from ourselves and taking our trust to put it in God. Any weakness that God brings us into is the place where God's power can show up. We think it's our job in life to overcome our weaknesses and difficulties. It's not. It's Jesus' job to shine through our weaknesses. He will take hold of us and secure us even when we're at the end of our rope. Not when we think we can do it ourselves. Paul goes on, he says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses. I'm content with weaknesses. Let that sink in for a moment. I'm content 
with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul got it. He got that weakness was good for him. He's content to be brought low because it means he is being found in the strength of Christ. In Paul's weakness, the gospel was revealed that even Paul, the best of us, needs Jesus just as much as you and me. The gospel power, sorry, God's power reveals the gospel in our weakness. So where does that leave us? Well, it's not for you or I to undo the hardships that God has put on us. It's not our job. Yes, yes, we can seek healing. Yes, we can seek the blessings. Yes, we can pray and God might answer those prayers. But if God blocks the way, if God closes the gate, it's not our job to jump the gate. We ought to instead seek out Jesus in the midst of of our weakness, so that his power may shine through. And yes, it won't be easy. If you are out of work, don't steal. Entrust yourself to a faithful God who is at work within you and who provides. When we come up against circumstances that we loathe, when things aren't going the way that we dreamed and desired, because of ourselves or because of something that somebody's done to us, We shouldn't rail at God. And what we shouldn't do is try and sin to get out of the circumstances that God has put us in. When God brings you into weakness, He calls you to turn to Himself. We ought to do in the midst of our weakness what Peter said. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Entrust your souls to a faithful creator. When you're resting in him, the gospel of the weak and the afflicted shines forth. Here we can know the power of Jesus as a saviour who loves and rescues. And Jeremiah Burroughs helpfully says this, Thus, A gracious heart thinks in this way. The Lord has been pleased to bring down my circumstances. Now if the Lord brings down my heart and makes it equal to my circumstances, I'm well enough. So when God brings down a person's circumstances, he does not so much labor to raise up his circumstances again as to bring his heart down to his circumstances. We are to bring ourselves into line with what God is doing in our lives not to rebel against it. God wants our weaknesses. The Lord has more need of our weakness than of our strength. Our strength is often his rival. Our weakness, his servant. Drawing on his resources and showing forth his glory, man's extremity is God's opportunity. Man's security is Satan's opportunity. God's way is not to take his children out of trial, but to give them strength to bear up against the trial. So God said to Paul, God says to his people, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. 
let's revel in our weakness as the foolish ones of the world so that we may have the strength of Jesus. Let's die to ourselves so that we might live in Christ. Weakness feels like the opposite of what we want, but if we accept it and see Christ in it, we can be perfected. We can see God's power perfected in us. So is God's grace sufficient for you? Is Jesus enough for you? Will you live in weakness so that God's power may shine through? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is, this is tough. Lord, we don't like being weak. We don't like being exposed. We don't like being vulnerable. But Lord, we know that it's when we are brought low that that's when is Christ is, is exalted. When, when we can see Christ and the power and provision of him that he gives us. Lord, it is in our weakness that we see your victory. It's in our weakness that we see your character. Lord, we pray that you might teach us to be content in our weaknesses because it means that we get more of you. Because we get to see your power perfected. Lord, your grace is sufficient for us. Help us to rest in it. Amen. In weakness, as I've already said, Christ went to the cross.